It's seriously, man, it's, it's such an honor uh, to be here. We've been praying for Collective for uh, a really long time. And, uh, and when it launched in September, uh, we were super stoked and uh, didn't know when I'd get to come check it out for the very first time. And uh, today's that day. Uh, and so glad to be here. Um, got eight inches of snow last night at home. Uh, so that was, uh, that'll be interesting to drive home in later today. But uh, uh, yeah. So anyways, go ahead, grab your Bibles. Pull out your smartphones uh, and open up to Matthew chapter 25. We'll get there in just a little bit. Now, I live in Macedonia, Ohio now, but originally I was born and raised in Glen Burnie, Maryland, just south of Baltimore. So I'm a Maryland boy uh, through and through. And uh, before I ever worked in a church, I began uh, doing construction. I did construction for uh, actually the majority of my life so far. I started when I was 13, long story as to why that was, and uh, continued to work it until I was about 26. And I worked for one guy and one construction company. And one of the things that we did on a very regular basis uh, was remodel row homes in downtown Baltimore. And probably the biggest one, the biggest job we ever did was one off of South Charles Street. And this was a really interesting situation because they want us to come in and not just remodel the row home, but they wanted us to add like a hundred foot addition onto the back of it that extended clear to the end of the lot. And it was in the middle of two other homes, you know, the way row homes were. It wasn't an end, uh, an, an end home. And so the guy who owned it wanted to do it uh, as cheap as possible, as any of us would whenever we would, you know, do a construction project. He wanted to do it as cheap as possible, but he also wanted to make sure everything was structurally sound. So what he did was he hired two crews. He hired us to come in and do all the structural work to kind of, you know, add the addition, make sure everything was supported appropriately. And then he hired another crew to come in and do all the demo work, like after everything had been supported and while we went through and started doing the other structural stuff throughout the house. Now this other crew that he hired uh, was uh, about, it was like six Hispanic guys. And uh, they were introduced to us, hey, you know, like you guys, you're going to work in, in conjunction with them. And of the six guys, one guy was pointed out as the boss, and he was the boss because he was the one who spoke English. As far as we know, uh, as far as I know, like, none of the other guys spoke any English, and so everything had to go through this guy. Man, these guys were a lot of fun to work with. So we start going to work on the house. First thing we do is we go in, we make sure everything's shut off, all the electric's shut off, all the water's shut off, all the gas is shut off, and we begin structurally, you know, like reinforcing the walls and the ceilings and stuff, and then tearing off the whole back wall of this row home on all three levels. We're putting in a rooftop deck. Like, this place was going to be absolutely sweet. We get things, you know, supported. They begin going to work demoing. And they were a lot of fun to be around because they just, they just had joy with what they were doing. I mean, they were always whistling. They were always, like, singing and yapping at each other. It was, it was just a lot of fun to get to be around them, always making a bunch of noise. So it was just it was fun to get to listen to them work because they just enjoyed doing their work. So we begin to tear off the back half of the house. We get the house, uh, we get the wall tore off. And my crew goes upstairs, and we begin setting what's called the pocket for the stairwell that will go up to the rooftop deck. It's the hole in the floor that the stairs go in. And while we're up there, they begin going and tearing out all the metal in the house. That was one of the ways that they were going to, you know, make some money for their boss. So they were going to scrap all the metal in their house. So we go up to the third floor. We begin setting the pocket for the stairwell. They go down into the crawl space and begin tearing out all the metal in the house. 
Now, I'm strung up on a ladder, set in the pocket for the stairwell. I'm up here, and all of a sudden, I hear a great commotion going on down around the ground level floor. Don't pay a whole lot of attention to it because these guys, you know, were constantly, you know, making noise, having, you know, fun with each other. So it doesn't make, you know, doesn't grab a whole lot of my attention. Then eventually, it becomes a very distressed yelling. Like one guy is trying to get someone's attention and that someone's not paying attention. And that someone turns out to be me and our crew up on the third floor. Finally, the guy down on the ground begins to yell, Fuego! Fuego! Which I know now means fire. So I'm up here, he's yelling, Fuego! Fuego! The other three guys that are with me, they drop their tool belts and run. I've never seen three grown men jump down stairwells faster than these three guys. I wander to the back of the house because you can just see out there. I mean, it just drops off. And he's waving and he's like whistling at me and he's yelling, fuego, fuego, fuego. So I go downstairs, I get all the way down there and when you get down to the ground floor because we've torn off the back part of the house, you can see into the crawl space. You can see into the crawl space and when I look under the first floor into the crawl space, it's the biggest fireball that I've ever seen in my life. And so I think this house is gonna go up in flames, somebody needs to do something. So me, the translator, and one of the guys from his crew, we slide down into the crawl space and we come over to the side of the wall where the gas comes into the house. And he says to me, the whole time, all he says is he says, you told me no gas, you told me no gas. There was no gas in the house on this side of the gas meter. But they wanted to scrap all the metal in the house to make as much money as they could, so they decided to try and scrap the gas meter. Not only did he try and scrap the gas meter, but he took what's called a grinder. He took a grinding wheel, which is this tool that just throws sparks absolutely everywhere, to cut off the gas meter. Now, a gas meter takes it from like two and a half inch pipe from outside your house to like a half inch, three quarter inch inside your house. So instead of just having a three quarter inch pipe spewing gas that's on fire, we have a two and a half inch pipe that is spewing gas and it is now on fire and it's licking the joists, the, the, the wood support for the entire house. So it's like, okay, we gotta do something. So I grab a shovel and I take it and I stick it up against the pipe and I'm diverting the flames into the ground. There's no running water in the house, but we did have a group of masons out front cleaning the stone on, on the row home. And so they had a big tank of water in the back of their truck that had a hose to it. Well, the one guy goes, grabs the hose, runs it in through a window. It's got no pressure on it, but it is gravity fed. So I'm taking the shovel, I'm diverting the flames into the ground. The other guy's got this hose and he's going like this you know, trying to get water on the joists as much as possible. And so we're doing everything that we can to try and keep uh, this house from catching on fire. And the translator is standing here. I'm like this. This guy's over here, and he's going like this. And the translator is standing there, and he goes, you told me no gas. You told me no gas. You told me no gas. And finally, I like, kind of come to my senses when all this is going on. And eventually, I turn to him, and I say, is this really the time you want to be having this conversation? To which he replied, you told me no gas. <laughs> and I said, all right, don't just stand there, do something. 
Now that story, which we're going to come back to, reminds me a whole lot of this principle Jesus teaches here in Matthew chapter 25, man. And Jesus loved to tell stories to teach spiritual truths. He calls them parables. And Jesus was a master at this, at telling stories to teach us some spiritual truth. And he does that in our story today in Matthew chapter 25. He's hanging out. He's teaching his disciples, the ones that are following him, the people that want to know what it's like to love God and love people. And he's teaching them and to teach them a spiritual truth about what it looks like to love God, he tells them this story, and it goes like this. Chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Jesus said, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another he gave two bags, and to another he gave one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his way. So what's going so he starts out, he says, again, it will be like. Now, this is connecting it back to a previous time where Jesus just finished teaching by telling another story. And basically, the idea he's trying to get across with these stories is, is that we don't know how long we have to make an impact. Like, we want to go, and we need to go and make the biggest impact we possibly can right now. The idea that Jesus is trying to get across to the people that he's teaching is this the idea of urgency, You've got this resource, whatever it may be. You've got a resource. What can you do to make as big of an impact as you possibly can right now? And things that are resources for us, things that are resources for for all people, are time, talent, and treasure, our money. Like those are all things that we have as a resource. And in this specific story, he says that a master is going away on a journey and he's going to entrust his wealth to these different servants. This this resource that he gives is money. Now, originally, it says a bag of gold. It translates to five bags of gold, two bags of gold, one bag of gold. That idea of bag of gold, we've started calling, it used to be called, translated, a talent. And a talent was a, a measure of weight. It was about 75 pounds. We don't really measure things in talent anymore, and so it makes more sense to translate it as a bag of gold. Now, it's kind of important to understand what the master's handing off here. So if a talent is around 75 pounds, we're talking around 75 pounds of gold. I checked yesterday, one troy ounce of gold is worth about $1,300, $1,300, give or take, uh, kind of depending on, on the day. So that means, in this story, if we were to translate how much wealth this master's handing off, one bag of gold is about $1.4 million. So it's a significant investment that this master is handing off to these servants. It's a a significant amount of money saying, hey, you're in charge of one bag of gold, you're in charge of two bags of gold, and you're in charge of five bags of gold. And if you're anything like me, when he's handing them off to his servants, you're kind of like, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. Let's divide this thing up evenly here. Like, why does this guy get five and this guy only gets one? You know, why, why does this guy get two and this guy gets one? Let's, let's divide this thing up evenly and see who can make the biggest impact. But it says that he divides it up to his servants, each according to his own ability. I mean, the master is a smart, high-level leader here. He knows the ability of each of his guys, and he deals out the money according to how he knows the people can handle it, how he knows the people will be able to work with it. So verse 16, so, so the man that received five bags of gold, he went at once and he put his money to work, and he gained five more bags of gold. 
So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. There's some really important things that happen just in these quick verses. First off, the guy who received five bags of gold, what does he do? Well, he gets the five bags of gold, and it says immediately he went to work. He went to work, and because of that, he was able to gain five more bags of gold. There was no plan around for him. There was no like, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. It was immediately he went to work. The same thing for the guy who received two bags of gold. That's a common thing that we see with them. Immediately, the guy with two bags of gold, he goes and he does the same exact thing. Immediately, he goes to work and he gains two more bags of gold. There is no like, ah, well, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it someday. For him, he goes. But the man who received one bag of gold says that he dug a hole and he buried it. Which seems, you know, really odd. Like, why would you do that? Why would, why would he bury it, you know? It's a bag of gold, 75 pounds of gold. That seems like a weird thing to just go off uh, and, and, and bury. But I'm sure in his mind, he sees it divided out. Wait a minute, that guy got five bags of gold. This guy got two bags, and I only got one? Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get the same return that the guy with five bags had. There's no way. I, I probably can't even do what the guy with two bags. So, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to go... We'll play it safe. I'm going to bury it. I, you know, I, I don't know what the thought was, but I'm sure that comparison game was being played. I don't, how am I supposed to do what he did? So I would like to think, though, that if this guy had friends who would be in, in his corner, I would like to think that he would have friends that say, man, don't just stand there. Do something with it. Don't just, don't just bury it. Do something with it. Look how the story closes out. Verse 19 says, after a long time, the master of these servants returned and he's to settle accounts with them. So he's coming back and he's like, all right, let's see what you did with it. Let's see how, you know, let's see what, you know, how things turned out. Verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now, after a long time, the master returns home, settle accounts with his sermon, uh, servant. The servant comes in, says, hey, you gave me five. Look, I've gained you five more. And the, and the master's like, man, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then my favorite thing that he says is, come and share in your master's happiness. I don't know for sure what that looks like, but I picture cheesecake. You know, they all get together, they sit down, come and share in your master's happiness. He comes up, he pulls a, a chair up to his, next to his master, and they begin eating cheesecake with whatever your favorite topping is on there. I, I don't know. But then the story continues, and this is what happens next. Uh, then the man who had received, uh, so same thing with the man who had received two bags of gold. The guy comes in, they're still eating cheesecake, you know, him and the guy with five bags of gold. And he says, look, you gave me two bags of gold. Look, I've turned it into two more. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Here's some cheesecake, you know. Pulls up his chair. So five, two, master, next servant comes in. They're all enjoying their cheesecake. Verse 24, then the man who received one bag of gold came. He said, master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I, I, I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew 
You knew that I harvested where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, you play out this guy's logic, and his logic seems backwards, right? In fact, it's weird to me because he kind of blames the master for why he didn't do anything with the gold. Like, I knew you were hard, like, I knew you could turn nothing into something, and so I was afraid, and so I went, and I just buried your gold. In fact, I kind of picture as he's coming up to the master, he takes that one bag of gold, and he kind of like shakes it off, you know, blows it off. See? Got some dirt on here, you know. I've still got the one bag of gold that you gave me, and I kind of wish I could hear the guy's tone and his voice as he's presenting it back to the master. Like, was he, was he proud? Like, did he think, like, oh, this is good. At least, at least I'm giving him back what he gave me. At least I'm getting him back that one bag of gold. Or, or, or was he nervous? Did he know, man, I didn't do what I should have done with it? I, I don't know. I just like to picture those things out. But as he hands back this bag of gold, and he says, you wicked, lazy servant. Like, you should have at least, you should have at least put it in the bank so I would have received it back with interest. In verse, 26, uh, verse 28, the master says, so take the bag of gold from him and, and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and, and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now this seems like a pretty harsh verse here. But one of the things that I, I think is, is pretty cool about this story is it shows us that God seems to reward risk-taking here. Now, and I know some of you are like packing up your bag like, I'm heading to Arundel Mills Live Casino, let's go, you know, but it's, it's not, that's not really like the risk that we're talking about here. See, these two servants, these, these talents, all right, because that's the, these talents, these resources that they were given, they immediately go and they put these resources to work, and so I want to be very clear here. One of the things that this story that Jesus tells us makes very clear is that laziness is a sin. That laziness is a sin. God does not want us sitting around on our resources playing it safe. Our resources, like how we spend our time, how, 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 how we use our talents, our gifts, our abilities, how we use our treasure, how we use our money. God doesn't want us just burying them, sitting on them, hoarding them for ourselves. At the end of the story, that's what Jesus ends up calling wicked and lazy and being unfaithful to what it is that he's called us to do. He wants us to see, he wants to, for us to put our faith, our belief in him, our resources into action. One of the things that I became super convicted of uh, was that towards the end of my construction career, about 2013, 2014, uh, I had become super convicted that I had started to become lazy, and, and not lazy because, you know, the job was easy. I mean, I, I worked physically. I worked the hardest I've ever worked on that job. Those guys worked super hard, but lazy in the sense of what Jesus is teaching here is that I was sitting on a talent and, and a burden that I feel like God had given me. And for me, it was my, it was my like, don't just stand there, do something moment. You see, before construction... I was also working like part-time at a church, specifically with middle and high school students, the same uh, uh, a church that Michael will talk about from time to time when we worked together at the same place. 
Uh, and some things kind of unfolded there at that church with the, the leadership that, honestly, I, I got hurt by. Uh, my wife, my wife specifically, got hurt as well. Uh, and so, so I quit. I was like, you know what, I'm done with this. Yeah, I was hurt by the people. I felt burned by the church. I was like, you know what, Psh, I'm out. I'm going to go back. I enjoy swinging a hammer. I'm going to do that again full time. Uh, I, don't, I don't need this. Uh, and, and so uh, all that unfolded. I was like, I'll just bury this talent and sit on it. Um, so this talent of, of helping students get to know what it means to love and follow Jesus, that there's a God that passionately loves them, is pursuing them, I was like, I'm just going to bury it. Uh, and honestly, I, I, had some, I had some growing up and maturing that I needed to do, but as far as I was concerned, I was going to bury this talent for a while. And one of the things that I think is really important that I learned through that process, man, is it is so incredibly important to deal with the hurts. Because if you don't deal specifically with your hurts, if you don't get to the root of that problem, it, it grows to bitterness. And, and that bitterness comes in, and it's going to steal your joy. It's going to steal your peace. It's going to steal purpose. It's gonna, and it's going to rob you of that potential that you could use your time, talent, treasure for. It's going to rob you of those resources, and so what I started doing is shortly after we quit that church, started going uh, to another church, and I started sitting down and talking with this minister, uh, a minister about these hurts from the previous church, and I honestly had a lot of good conversations with Michael. Michael was already trying to come and start Collective. Uh, we didn't know it would be called Collective at the time, but he was actively trying to come up here uh, and, and, and start all that. And through those conversations, man, began, un began unpacking things. And eventually, Michael, because he doesn't mince words, and that's probably my favorite thing about him, uh, as Michael told me, just basically, hey, man, don't just stand there, do something. Like, you're sitting on a talent, and you need to be, get back in the game. Uh, and so, not too terribly long after that, I got a phone call from a guy uh, who planted a church in Ohio and said, hey, we're thinking about starting a campus out here, uh, and we think you might be our guy. Uh, and so spent a lot of time praying, asking for wisdom from key godly people, having a good conversation, and God blew some doors open. Uh, we went out there uh, and knew that uh, God was calling us to help start this campus. Now, the point behind this whole story, the point behind this Bible story, the point behind uh, the story we started with uh, is to effectively use our resources, to effectively use all the resources that God has given us to accomplish his mission. And what that boils down to us, what that boils down to for you, is God gives you personally resources, your time, your talent, your treasures. And we need to be productive with those things, with those resources. And what he considers productivity is taking people who don't know that there is a God that passionately loves them and introducing them, showing them, man, there's a God that loves you. For them to, metaphorically, bump into Jesus through you, through the way that you spend your time, through the way that you use your talents, whatever that may be, in your job, in your pastime. And so the question I want you asking is, well, what does that look like for us? What does that look like for you specifically to use your time, your talent, your treasure to honor God? Collective's mission is collectively showing the transforming love of Jesus to our community. That's the idea, is we want them to see Jesus through us. 
through you, the way that you interact and the way you serve your community. Man, one of the things I have become absolutely so convinced of is that Jesus' way of living is the best way of living. Not the easiest, but it is the best. And when you follow Jesus, you begin to find that peace that you feel like you're constantly searching for. Man, I just would like to experience some peace. I've found that from following Jesus. And we want other people to find that, and I think they can find that through following Jesus. I found joy. I found purpose. I found hope. And those are the things that people are looking for. Those are the things that people need, and they can see that through us, the way we use our resources. Now, I don't know exactly what that will look like for you specifically, but I want you to begin asking that question. I want you to begin asking that question, what does it look like for me to really use my resources to help collectively show the love of Jesus to our community? Because that is, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is the mission you are handed. The mission you are handed is to go and make disciples, go and help people become followers of Jesus. So my challenge specifically for you today is that if if you're not plugged into a collective somewhere, if you don't feel uh, attached to collective outside of a Sunday morning, is to don't just stand there. Do something. Don't just stand there. Do something. When you came in, there was a connect card sitting on your seat with a pen attached to it. I, I don't want you to let another Sunday go by where you don't fill one of those out and say, hey, I'm looking to get plugged into a collective. Collectives are starting back up. It's a small group of people that meet in someone's home on a night throughout the week where you eat dinner together. You talk specifically uh, about the sermon that uh, happened, the message that happens on Sunday and what it means to you personally. And I'm telling you from personal experience, we call Mo Groups at the church that I'm at, that's going to be where you're going to grow spiritually. That's where you're going to begin to discover that peace and hope and joy. That's where you're going to make connections to where when you show up on Sunday morning, you don't feel like just a face in the crowd, but you feel like a part of the family. So don't let another Sunday go by where you don't fill out that connect card and drop it in the bucket when it's passed a little bit later. And here's the thing, I know there are always some good reasons for not doing something, right? We can always find good, valid reasons for not doing something. But what I have discovered in my life, and this is true for me, is it's easy for me to come up with an excuse of why the answer is no, I can't do that right now. But what I've really discovered really recently is most often excuses are just cleverly, uh, cleverly disguised excuses, you know, reasons, reasons, good reasons why are often just cleverly disguised excuses, especially if it has something to do with you growing uh, in a relationship with Jesus. The next series that Collectives is going to be doing uh, is Integration. Man, and it's such a good, timely series for this being January. Uh, the challenge specifically in that series is going to be to do something, but not only to just go and do something, but how you can feel free to make a more of an impact with the time that you've been given, how to make the most of the time that you have. And, uh, man, it's a good series. Uh, I've, I've studied it alongside with Michael. We write sermons together a lot. And so I'm excited for you to go through it, and I've been learning from it as we've kind of been studying leading up to it. Man, another challenge I want to give you is it's a new year. I mean, join the team. Consider joining the team at, at Collective. I mean, serving on Sunday is investing in Collective. And it's where you're not just standing there, but you're doing something. So I want to tell you how this Baltimore story ends because I I think it's really key 
to how I think it's really cool the way this plays out. So I'm back over here, right? We're at the wall, two and a half inch gas pipe. Gas is coming out. It's on fire. I've got the shovel. I'm diverting the flames into the ground, which is just, a, you know, like a sand crawl space. I've got this guy over here. He's taking water, you know, and he's, he's throwing up on the, on the joist. This guy saying, don't, uh, you told me no gas. You told me no gas. It's like, well, don't just stand there. Do something. So he does something. He runs off. Don't know where he went. He runs off. And I was like, oh, well, okay, well, at least he did something. He's not there, like, you know, yelling in my ear anymore. So we're thinking about, okay, we just got to keep the flames into the ground until the fire department shows up and they can actually solve this problem. You know, so we're just standing here. I'm, like, keeping an eye on the joist. Like, if these things catch on fire, I'm out of here. All of a sudden, he comes back, and he comes back with a five-gallon bucket that he's filled with dirt. And he comes up on this side of it, and I'm diverting the flames into the ground, and he goes, because it's loud down. He goes, one, two, three. I drop the shovel. He throws the bucket onto the pipe. Flame is out, just like that. And it was awesome. Uh, about probably two minutes later, the fire department shows up, shuts off the gas. Now, here's what I love specifically about that situation. Is that guy, first off, the story's pretty dang funny when you, when you, you know, tell it in its, all in its entirety. But what I love most about that story was that guy was the solution to the problem. We're standing there, and it's obviously like there's a huge fire that needs to be put out. We're doing everything we could. I've got the flames diverted into the ground. The other guy's doing the water. You know, we're not really losing the situation, but we're definitely not winning here. And all that guy could do was stand there and point out the fire. Hey, there's a fire. Hey, there's a fire. Hey, there's a fire. And we're like, yeah, we see it, you know. And then finally, someone says, hey, don't just stand there, do something. It clicks to him. I could help with this. He runs off, and he's the one that solves the problem. I mean, Collective just launched in September. I mean, and you guys are already doing some really cool, amazing stuff in the school, here in this city. But there are plenty of fires that need help being put out. And everyone sitting in here this morning can be part of that solution. And what I'm hoping is that maybe a large number of you are starting to call Collective your church home. And 2018 is here. Man, it's a great time to start fresh. And so why not start? Why not start by taking a step and doing something? To not only be a, a part of a team and, 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 help, and help people hear about Jesus by serving on Sunday mornings, but also in helping us find ways to take Jesus out into this city, into the neighborhood, our schools, to help us be part of spreading God's love to this community. You've got resources. You've got time. You've got talent. You've got treasure. Don't just sit on them. Don't, don't bury them like the lazy servant did. Let's not just stand there. Let's do something. So find us out in the lobby. Find Michael out in the lobby. And let's not just stand there. Let's do something. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, thank you so much for loving us. God, you are a great God, God, and you have. And, you know, in some cases it feels like, God, I've only got one talent. In some cases, God, it's like, i got many talents. But, God, you have blessed us with talents. You've blessed us with, uh, with abilities, with passions, things that we love to do, things that we're passionate about. God, help us to find ways to use them to point people to you. God, help us to not just sit on the things that you've given us, but find ways uh, to, to, to bless people uh, so that they see how much you love them through us. Um, God, use us. God, uh, help us to make a difference here in Frederick. Uh, we love you. It's in your son's holy and awesome, amazing name we pray. Amen.